you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go. Welcome to Big Show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Thanks for being a part of the Big Show. We certainly appreciate it. As always, we bring you the smartest people, the latest authors, Pulitzer Prize winners, CEOs, billionaires, governors, all those people that have been on the show, U.S. ambassadors, you name it. We've had so many great authors on the show, and they bring to you their amazing stories, their journeys of life, the stuff they've spent tens of thousands or sometimes a lifetime researching. If they're Hollywood people, they probably uh, they probably believe in those sort of religions where they've lived a few lifetimes of stories they're bringing you so there's that we haven't had any of those on yet but there's still time so anyway guys all we ask you for you in return is refer the show to your family friends and relatives go to goodreads.com for chess chris fuss linkedin.com for chess chris fuss youtube.com for chess chris fuss subscribe to the big linkedin newsletter and the linkedin 130,000 group over there that the show is named after anyway guys we have an amazing guest on the show as well we always do because we bring this to you the smartest guests and none of them are me just some idiot with a mic. <laughs> Christian Espinoza joins us. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, we know that, Chris. Christian Espinoza is the author who joins us on the show today. He is the author of the latest book, The In-Between, Life in the Micro, that just came out December 12th, 2023. He's a multi-book author, and he's going to be talking to us about all the great stuff he's done. He's an entrepreneur that built and sold a cybersecurity company. He's a best-selling author. And he helps technical leaders improve their leadership skills with his proven seven-step secure methodology. He's also an adventurer and loves anything with a waiver. We'll have to find out what that means. He's also a renowned thought leader, best-selling author. Her Christian is a dynamic entrepreneur passionate about inspiring others to harness their innate wisdom, overcome perceived barriers, and summon the courage to to reach new paths. He is expertise extends to cybersecurity, real estate investment, outdoor wilderness survival, adventurous pursuits such as skydiving, mountaineering, and Ironman triathlons with 24 triathlons and two seven summits under his best, under his belt. Jesus, he's He's David Goggins Jr. Christian <laughs> epitomizes the spirit of transforming leadership and relentless exploration. And evidently, he's a masochist. Welcome to the show, Christian. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. There you go. Thanks, thanks for the awesome intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do around here. I was, I was hopping around the camera and, and got a bit we got to edit. So welcome to the show. Give us the .com so we can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, you can find me on ChristianEspinoza.com or my cybersecurity company on BlueGoatCyber.com. There you go. So give us a 30,000 overview of your new book, The In-Between. My new book, The In-Between, is a focused memoir, I like to say. It's about where I've got things right and where I've got them wrong in the micro moments, I say. So I'm pretty focused. I've been focused on the macro thing, the big goal. I've been trying to achieve or trying to get, and I think a lot of us get super focused on that. And we often ignore the micro moments between where we are and that big goal. So we kind of have blinders on. Mm -hmm. So my book is about 
where I've ignored those moments and screwed things up and where I've got them right. Because I think if you pay attention and have some intention behind the moments right in front of you, they can inform you that maybe this goal you're after is not really the goal you want to go after. And they can also add fulfillment to your life and improve your relationships as well. There you go. And and is this based on, do you, do you cover cybersecurity in here? Or is this more of a, is this more of a motivational book? I don't really cover cybersecurity. I have a couple stories from my first cybersecurity business because that was mm-hmm. part of my entrepreneurial journey. Okay. But it's a little bit about my adventures with Iron Man and mm-hmm. almost dying on a mountain and, and skydiving and, and different things that have had an impact in my life. There you go. So what motivates you want to do some of these things? I mean, that's that's like we we're joking with the David Goggins thing. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of self-abuse there. <laughs> It is. The irony is I I grew up in a very chaotic environment, a very poor with a Mm -hmm. drug-addicted mother. So at first I valued safety and stability. I joined the military. I got that. But then I realized that's not really who I am. I like to take risk to to do things like I mentioned the waiver where you could lose an arm or possibly die if there's like a waiver involved. I'm like, compel that activity. Yeah. So I realized like I, I had to shift. I, I kind of like lived this life that I thought I wanted because I didn't have it growing up, but it literally wasn't me. So I shifted into taking risk, leaving a nine to five, doing the entrepreneur journey, skydiving, climbing mountains, doing things that kind of like fill my soul. Hmm. So why do you why do you find that fills your soul? What motivates you? What's the, what's the gear there? What motivates me about those activities is yeah. the growth. Uh, I growth. think. You put yourself in uncomfortable situations, it forces mm-hmm. you to do some introspection and to grow. And mm-hmm. that to me is, uh, is the appeal. There you go. It's not so, for everybody, but it is for me. <laughs> you know, hey, I mean, that's what, you know, David Goggins and other people who do this, they, they, you know, whether you're growing, phys- you're growing physically, you're growing mentally. You know, the one thing I learned in, in going to the gym late in life regularly is the you know, there, it's more than just going and lifting weights. There's mm-hmm. a discipline to it. There's a mastery of your mind. There's a there, it, there, it does things for your body that and your mind that, you know, you don't really understand when you just go, oh, I'm just going to go to the gym and lift some stupid weights. You know, there's, especially as a man, I think it really appeals to us because we're, we're designed by biology to, you know, have upper body strength and have, you know, muscles and, and, you know, we're designed to be tribal hunters and killers. And, and so by staying in shape, by, by working out, by, by challenging ourselves, by pushing the limits, whether it's mentally or physically, the physical aspects of the gym, working out and doing events like what you're doing really test your, your ability, you know, discipline seems to have been my favorite word over the last couple of years where, you know, when I think about, you know, slacking off or being a butt, you know, I'm like, Hey man, discipline, get on your stick. <laughs> discipline breeds happiness and freedom. They say, yeah, it does. It does. I think that's uh, there's a quote that I think that I have on my phone that says that from, it was a Jocko discipline equals freedom. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Something go. we used to say in the military quite a bit. So. Really? There you go. I think that's where I think Jocko is from the military. Yeah. Um, he's a- in Navy a background, Seal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've we've had Navy SEALs on the show, and I've read some of their books, and and read about Hell Week and yeah. some of the stuff that Navy SEALs do. And geez, that's that's a that's a different that's a different kind of man than I am at this point. But 
<laughs> God bless those guys. They're, they're the people who stand between us and the darkness. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up. You've alluded a little bit to it, but tell us about some of the things that kind of shaped you. I grew up in, in California, and I moved from Arcan- from California to Arkansas when I was 12. That'll, that'll fucking shape you right there. <laughs> yeah, I moved from L.A. basically to town to of 800 deliverance. people in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Basically deliverance. Yeah, okay, yeah. 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 And my mother was always addicted to prescription meds and other oh, drugs, no. so I had a chaotic environment, lots of you know, kind of low-life friends over all the time, parties, wrecked cars, cops coming over. Wow. Poverty, you know, we had to go get government milk and the powdered yeah. milk and those big blocks of cheese and food stamps back in the day where my mom would, my mom would sell the food stamps, like $100 with of food stamps for $20 in cash so she could buy drugs and things like that. So it was like wow. a crazy environment. And I, I think for me that really made me crave that stability and that safety because I didn't have it growing up. And I, that compelled me, it, it drove me to apply to all the military academies. And I, I went to the yeah. Air Force Academy and that's how I ended up in the military. Mm-hmm. But it took me a while to sort of unravel that I really don't like that safety and security. I mean, I like it, but I like to take risk. So uh-huh. that's that for my adult life, I spent a lot of time doing a nine to five job and things I didn't really like mm-hmm. um, because I thought that's what I wanted. Yeah. So it took me a while to kind of unravel that. You're seeking stability. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so in your seat, you're seeking, you're seeking a form, you know, and, and so it, 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 not really a form, but a format or, mm-hmm. or I don't know, a frame. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's safety in that, but you kind of found that it was boring after a while. Do you, it, it's kind of interesting. Maybe, maybe you found that there's a way to, you know, kind of be in, be in an environment where there's chaotic or chaos, but, but you, you've figured out a way to stabilize it maybe. I think so. I, I, I guess I found it boring because I remember like driving to my nine to five job one day, <laughs> many days I would drive there yeah. on the highway and I just wanted to bypass the exit to the, to the work facility mm. i was like i just want to start my life over because i hate this job i don't like walking to the building i don't like anything about it but I, I was like well i i need the stability though so i i had to pivot from that and and my childhood gave me like this me against the world attitude like i felt like i couldn't trust anybody it took me a while to unravel that too because i feel like yeah. you can only get so far in life with a me against the world attitude because i had to realize that i'm part of the world and I need a team and I need like people to support me and I need to support other people as well. Mm -hmm. There you go. So when did you, when did you start doing the marathons and different things? I started that in, I think 2003. Uh, Mm I have a friend that's super competitive Mm -hmm. and he bet me to this triathlon and I was like, I didn't even know what a triathlon was. I had to Google it. (laughs) And I didn't know how to swim. I didn't have a bike, but no matter what the guy wanted to do, I, I always wanted to beat him. So, cause he's, he, he talks so much smack. So we did this triathlon as a, as a short triathlon and I, I had to learn how to swim. Uh, so I, before I couldn't even swim like one lap of the pool, but I, I read the book called total, total immersion, oh, learned wow. to swim. I borrowed a bike and it ended up beating him in that race. And mm-hmm. uh, that was the end of his career with triathlon cause he was so embarrassed, but uh, <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes. I wore a cotton shirt. 
And uh, which if you wear a cotton shirt and it's like super humid, this was in St. Louis, uh, the, the friction causes your nipples to get chafed and start bleeding. So it's Ow. super painful. Yeah. So I made a lot of rookie mistakes, but it was, it was fun. <laughs> there you go. And um, after that, I just kept doing like longer ones and longer ones and learning more and learning more and challenging myself. You kind of learn about yourself when you do these things, don't you? You learn about not only your limits, some of the mindset, some of the stinking thinking you have in your head. I think, I don't know, you, I, this is a question. So, But I think you, you also, it gives you time to process a lot of stuff because you're, 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 you're in that moment and you've got to, you, you know, you've got to sometimes think about stuff. You, you have to face yourself, right? You have to face your body. You have to face what maybe you think you're, or you thought are your limits and, and push them to the next level. Do I have that right? hundred percent. Like in an Ironman, it typically takes me between 12 and 14 hours. Jesus. So you, you go through, I mean, literally I'm racing from sunup to sundown and you go through all of life's emotions, like in that <laughs> 13 hours, you feel elated for a while. You feel miserable. I mean, there's been times I've been like in the fetal position, throwing up on the side of the road. Oh, uh, you know, you just go through a lot of different things. And it, and what I realized though, is as long as you like keep moving forward, you'll start to feel better and things will improve. But often we, in life, if we hit a roadblock, we just kind of give up. Mm -hmm. so that's what I'm saying. It's, like, it's very, it's a good analogy to life, but condensed into 13 hours for me. There's kind of that, there's kind of a, a life lesson there, right? Keep moving. Yes. Keep, keep learning, keep fighting, keep growing, keep trying to get to the next marker. You know, life is a story of survival, really, when it comes down to it. The university is a, is a survival game, really. That's kind of how I look at it. It's 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 a game of the fittest, and, and you've always got to be learning, always got to be growing, always got to be doing something different. And, and that's important. And, you know, the thing is, when you triumph over yourself using discipline and improve yourself or learn something new or, or you know, overcome adversity or trauma – it's a whole lot better on the other side and looking back and you can look at your life and go, wow, you know, I, I did some stupid shit when I was young, but man, <laughs> I sure have gotten that mastered under, under, uh, under, under effect. There's a story that I think you tell in the book about a car accident. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. I had been working on the, the concept of the in-between the book for a while and those micro mm -hmm. moments. And I kind of wasn't sure I wanted to write about that. But then I, I flew back to St. Louis from, I think, Miami. And I was in a car accident where a, a truck T-boned a, a car in the intersection. Oh. And the truck was bounced back and hit me. But what I noticed about that accident, everything kind of went out of focus. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend, who's a nurse, and me were the only two people that got out and helped in this intersection. Everybody else just sat in the car, like filming, getting frustrated on their phone. And the woman that was in the car was in shock. She had a broken, I mean, her arm looked broken. You know, she's bleeding, glass was all over. And, you know, we helped her. I helped the guy in the truck. You know, we called 911. And for some reason during that accident, like all these dots about this concept of the in-between and the micro moments connected and I felt like this inner calling, like this voice told me, like, this is what I need to write the book on. This solidified the doubt in my mind about this is what I need to write on. Mm -hmm. So something about focusing on one macro after another. Tell us what that means. 
to me, the macro is the big thing you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could be like in, in the accident I just referred to, the macro was getting to dinner and then to my girlfriend's like family function. That mm-hmm. was where we were going. But then this accident happened, which is a macro event, but it's in the micro and context of where we're trying to do. So instead of like finding it frustrating mm-hmm. and sitting in the car like everybody else, we thought, you know, we're going to get out and, and with some intention, help these people and help in this scenario. Because I feel like as a fellow human being, if I was in an accident, I would want somebody to help me as well. Yeah. But it's ironic that nobody else got out and helped. Uh, so it's, you know, I think everyone else found it a distraction on their way to the thing that they defined as a macro, mm-hmm. uh, where I decided to embrace this moment, this micro moment in, in my life and add value to it. So it's mm-hmm. really shifting the perspective of finding some balance between the thing you're trying to do, but then embracing the stuff right in front of you and then finding a way to step into it intentionally. There you go. Life is full of interruptions, zigzags. You know, you, you you think you're going towards a goal, and there's interrupts or failures of that of trying to get to that goal. And uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're having to problem solve constantly. So you know, there's all sorts of things that uh, pop up. I was watching a TikTok from a guy who uh, he's been selling jets for 40 years on TikTok, and he talks about jets and selling jets, and he he talks about his life and it was funny i was watching him he he did a life in the day video i watched last night and he goes you know i've been selling jets for 40 years and he goes still to this day there's the most unique problems that i've never seen pop up in deals that you have to overcome problems you have to solve he goes he goes it's it 40 years you would think after 40 years you're like yeah i've seen it all right (laughs) but no he's there's still like new weird shit that happens that you got to fix and you got to overcome and questions you got to answer. And, you know, there's a, there's a million ways to jam up a deal. And uh, I thought, you know, that's really interesting, you know, 40 years and yeah. you, you'd think you'd seen and mastered it all. And you're like, nah, there's nothing new that can come at me. I haven't seen before and we don't know how to handle, but that's, that's how life works. That's why I say it's a survival game. It's a marathon, you know, kind of like what you're running. That's kind of what we're all running is a giant, really long Ironman marathon um <laughs> it's a challenge of the physical you know you, you you get older and shit doesn't work anymore and you're you're trying to get it to work you know like, why doesn't this work like it used to why can't i lose yeah. weight like it used to why does you know and so you're you're constantly in this in this game of survival and some people fight it and they're just like i'm just gonna sit here and pout and maybe be like the people that you talked about in the traffic thing where they're just like, i'm gonna sit here and just be angry about this moment and mm-hmm. how someone interrupted me on the way to my goal and play victim. But, you know, you guys were being, you know, actualized, self-actualized and saying, hey, how can we turn this moment, this macro, as you put it, into something useful? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And the the thing is, like, that moment, if I found it distracting, just sat in the car, it wouldn't have shaped me. And I probably wouldn't have made the connections that I did to, to write the book, you know? So mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like some of these things that we may think are distracting can inform us on our life choices, because I feel like mm-hmm. we know what we need to do internally, but mm-hmm. sometimes we, we filter it out or block it out. And sometimes stepping into a situation can reveal that. There you go. And so the, the, the accident was an epiphany moment for you and led you to a desire to do what with yourself? 
it crystallized the concepts of the book. It also crystallized that I wanted to be someone that helped other people more so than I have. As I mentioned before, it took me a long time to get over the me against the world attitude. And it's been like this, uh, this progression where I feel like in the state of my life now, I want to give back and help mm -hmm. people that are on the journey, maybe a little bit behind me, make their journey better. And that's, that's what I'm embracing now versus just focusing on trying to grow a business or just myself or the things that I've done in the past. Mm -hmm. There you go. And so you've inspired other people to do it. There's a few things you talk about in your books. One is the seven step secure methodology. Tease us out a little bit about what's inside that. So the seven step secure methodology is a framework I came up with to help highly rationally intelligent or high IQ individuals develop people skills or emotional intelligence. I think one of the biggest obstacles for a lot of people that are highly rationally intelligent is they don't know where to start on how to develop emotional intelligence. So those seven steps I came up with with my first cybersecurity company because I realized 99% of my problems in my company mm -hmm. were because my staff lacked interpersonal or people skills. It wasn't because my <laughs> staff lacked technical skills. So I, what I did in the company that worked is what I wrote about and made the, those seven steps. There you go. So can you tease a few out to us? Yeah, the, the first step is awareness. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we anything starts with awareness, and it's not awareness of the world around us. It's really awareness of ourselves. Ah. And, and one of the things I talk about, I, I apply a lot of neuro-linguistic programming concepts in the book. One of the things is we are very programmatic. We like to think we're unpredictable, but if we receive a trigger or a stimulus, there's like a program in our brain that automatically runs. And we have to ask ourselves, if this program is running, and this is my behavior as a result, is it serving me? And often the answer is no. If it's no, then you have to be aware enough to stop that program from running, given the trigger, and run a new program, which is basically a new behavior. And that new program will start off as a weak neural pathway in your brain, but the more you exercise it, just like a muscle, the mm -hmm. stronger it will become and eventually it will become the default behavior. So one of my engineers of my first company, as an example, whenever somebody asked him a question, his default program was to get defensive. And if you get mm -hmm. defensive, the conversation typically doesn't go that well. So it, it was beneficial for him to install a new program. So if somebody asked a question, he would get curious rather than defensive. And then maybe ask some more questions to the person and get what they're not quite understanding. So that's mm -hmm. that's the, the awareness concept. Mm -hmm. I'll give a couple other highlights. Communication is another step. I'm a big proponent that the meaning of communication is the response you get. So that shifts the ownership back on you mm -hmm. to alter how you communicate. If the person you're communicating with doesn't understand you, you're not getting the budget, you're not getting a raise, you're not making the sale, it shifts the ownership back to you. Mm -hmm. Another concept is monotasking, which is one people get kind of fired up about. So mm -hmm. monotasking is concentrated focus on one thing at a time. It's the antithesis of multitasking, which I think we've been brainwashed to do. Um, monotasking <laughs> makes you way more productive. Multitasking makes you busy but not productive. Monotasking makes you productive, 
because you concentrate your effort on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And then it also helps with communication and relationships because if you're monotasking when you're with somebody, you're present. You're not thinking about something else. Oh. You're not checking your phone. You're present. And that person you're with feels valued because you're not distracted while you're talking or having dinner with them. Because you probably witnessed before people at dinner. I've seen this like, just the other day. There's a couple at dinner, both of them on their cell phones. I'm like, yeah. why did they even go to dinner? They're not even talking with each other. It's so bizarre to me. That yeah. is not I've seen whole families testing. do that, where the whole yeah. family is looking at their phone. You're just like, that's that's insane. I have a I have a phones on the desk rule, on the table rule. So that's that's my rule when I go out and talk to people. Otherwise, I'm like, why why the fuck am I here? You, you can sit that's home a with good your rule. phone. Yeah, yes. yeah. Everybody I, should have that rule. I I, I try and. I try and be a good example to that rule too, where I don't pick up my phone. The about the only time I pick up my phone is maybe if they go to the bathroom. But normally, I, you know, I've got my watch where I can. Yeah, if there's anything really important, I get. But usually, I, I love this concept. What is it? It's called mono what? Mono asking. I love this concept, man. I need to focus this more. I need to put like a big tag on my computer that says "Do monotasking." Um, <laughs> do you do you turn off your phone notifications or the dings to help stay in that arena? One hundred percent. So what I do with monotasking is like on my calendar, I'll set up a block of time for an hour. Okay. And during that block of time, the only mm -hmm. thing I do, let's say I'm writing a new chapter for my book. That's mm -hmm. all I do. I don't check email. I don't answer my phone. I don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. That's it. Because all those distractions cause you to have to switch context between one task to another task. And it causes you to be inefficient and it causes you to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's, it's, you know, I, I have a problem with multitasking. I, I thought I had my ADHD mastered, but you know, it, it seems like the more busy I've gotten, the more, the more busier I am, the more the more multitasking distraction I need. I don't know, and so I love this. I love this monotasking concept. This they should make this a thing because we we need it so much. We have so many distractions in this world. Mm -hmm. Like I say, when I go out to eat with people or dates, I'm like, we all put our phones down. If if I'm on a date with somebody who can't put their stupid phone down to talk to you, I'm just like. <laughs> You, you're you're trying out for a shot at the at the title. If you can't, if you can't, you know, it's, imagine going to a job interview and like looking at your phone all the time. You're like, you're like, <laughs> hang on one second, I gotta check this message. Oh, a TikTok. Oh, there's a cool TikTok video. Imagine doing that in a job interview. It's the same thing on a date. Give me a break. Yeah. Is this, is this person this dumb? Do I really want to spend the rest of my life with them? But yeah, it's it's that or they're, if they're so addicted and need for attention and validation from men on their Instagram, you know, there's that, which we see a lot of nowadays, a lot of addiction to validation. But, you know, it, it's really important when I when I go out to eat with my friends and stuff, I, I put our phones down and, and I kind of have a phones down rule. Everyone put your phone down. Let's let's talk and and be present. And being present is like really important nowadays. I, I've I struggle with that for the last few years. And when I finally understand it after who's Eckhart Tolle turned me on to it, mm. being present and, and trying to be present with, with when I'm with family or friends, but also they have to be interesting as well. Cause if you bore me, I might go to my phone or, you know, That's say the anything. Challenge. Yeah. There's only so much. And I usually am the entertainer and the driver or everything, but you know, so I, I try, but you know, every now and then people will bore the shit out of me, but that's their problem. <laughs> so there you go. Any other tips you want to tease up? For I, I, one of the things I talk about in the book is uh, acknowledgement. 
and appreciation. That's something that as a leader, I realized I wasn't good at because I went to the Ironman World Championship in 2005. This is a story that sticks in my mind. And I remember standing under the finish line. I wasn't racing. I just was watching, telling myself one day I'll do that race. Ten years later, 2015, I did the race. I finished it. I ran across the finish line. And I never took one moment, one second to congratulate myself or pat myself on the back. I was automatically thinking about the next big goal to accomplish. Oh. And what I realized is if I couldn't appreciate myself for something that took me 10 years to freaking do, then I'm probably going to have a hard time appreciating my staff yeah. uh, and acknowledging my staff. And that, that's, that was true. So mm -hmm. I'd reflect on that and then start appreciating my staff for things that they were doing, which were valuable things, but also realize that I needed to appreciate, appreciate them in a way that they feel appreciated. There's, I'm, you probably heard of the five love, love languages. We each, you know, value a certain way of receiving things. Otherwise, we don't mm -hmm. feel appreciated. Like mm -hmm. my birthday was not too long ago, and my girlfriend got me some gifts. I don't like gifts. It's not one of my love languages. So it did oh. not make me feel appreciated. Huh. And she should know this, but people like to give somebody the same thing that they value typically. But it takes a little bit of insight to realize what somebody really values in order to make them. I've had that from girlfriends where they give me what they want, really. Here, here's this. <laughs> of course. Here's a sweater and hoodie that I'm going to just wear all the time. So, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Here's a new car with your money that I'm going to drive. Yeah. That's how it <laughs> works out. Yeah. It doesn't um, make you feel appreciated, does it? <laughs> I, it, it? It does kind of bug me because I'm like, wait, I, I don't understand how married guys deal with it, but that's not my problem. But <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you got me a gift with my money. Thanks. <laughs> wow. That's great. That's great. Is it really a gift at this point? How if you just cook a dinner? That'd be nice. So give us your final pitch out on the show for people to pick up your books. Tell us, too, about your coaching. You have some coaching programs on your website as well and uh, some methodology course, evidently the Secure Methodology course. Tell us about some of the offerings you have and how people can onboard with you there. Yeah, on my website, christianespinoza.com, I've got the Secure Methodology course, which is a course mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time developing. It goes over those seven steps to help improve your emotional intelligence and people skills. So the steps I talked about with awareness and ending with Kaizen, it goes through the, all those steps and has some exercises in there as well. And I've got my two books out. The in-between just came out last week, as we mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to get, you know, sales with that. And I will have the audio book coming out in January. I had Kaleo Griffith record that he recorded my first book and my coaching I've kind of suspended I'm looking more into giving keynote speeches next year. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to talk on leadership or the in-between concepts or my secure methodology, I, you know, you can find me on my website and connect with, connect with me there. There you go. There you go. Well, it's been fun having you on the show, Christian. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. There you go. Folks, order the book where refined books are sold. The in-between Life in the Micro came out December 12, 2023 by Christian Espinoza. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, Fortune's Chris Voss, or else. No, I'm just kidding. There's lots of great stuff on Goodreads. Goodreads is so great for authors and books. You can probably see most of the authors, too. The blog feeds into there. 
in the podcast feeds in there. So if you want to see like a lot of the great authors on the show, you could do that as well. Chris Foss on LinkedIn.com and the big LinkedIn newsletter and the 130,000 LinkedIn group over there. All the other places we're on the internet. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.